So take your Bibles and go with me to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 11. As you go there, I'm going to invite you to uh, a little bit of uh, sanctified imagination for a few minutes, okay? Let's say that, uh, that you, well, did you see the news this morning by chance? I was up at 2 o'clock and uh, got my day started with a little bit of network news. That always makes me want to go to church. And uh, I saw that there's a guy up in the East Coast area who won a lottery of, seemed like it was, well, it was, it was a lot of money. It was a lot of money. So let's just assume that you win the lottery and you get a million dollars. Now here's the catch, and this is the sanctified imagination part of it. Let's say that in order to get that million dollars, you have to forfeit all the money that you currently have saved up and all of your retirement opportunities, and you can't work for a paycheck another time for the rest of your life. What would you do with that million dollars? Now, I know some of you are saying, well, I'd pay off my bills as far as it went. But if you only had a million dollars to last you the rest of your life, no more income, all you got was what you could make off of that million dollars. You could invest it. You could just put it in a savings account and draw that 0.3% interest. You could do anything with the money itself and make money off of it, but you would never earn another paycheck. All you had was a million dollars and what you could do with that million dollars. What would you do? Now, some of us, I suspect would be very cautious. Some of us would take risk. So here's what I want you to get as we begin to get into this message to to hear from the pulpit in a Baptist church. I'm not suggesting you go gamble with it. I'm just saying if you're looking towards the future and you have decisions that you have to make about your future, there are risks that you have to consider. And some people buy into the risk, some people don't. We'll talk about that a little bit more in just a few moments. Welcome back to the chase. We're now in the last, the final stretch, the home stretch of what the preacher has to say to us about how to find meaning and fulfillment in life. And we've watched with him and walked with him as he's taking us down this road where he has, has tried all kinds of things and is reporting back to us about the effects of that. Most of it has been very pessimistic. Very little of what we have found here has centered into those kind of sermons where we go, yeah, I think I want to be like that. But in this home stretch, he begins to draw his conclusions and he begins to lay out for us some key truths about how we might, in fact, find fulfillment in life, how we might find meaning, and how life might be worth living at a high level. We come to this passage... It's an interesting one. It's a series of metaphors that he lays out for us that speaks to something about finding balance, those opportunities we have, the, the forward-looking decisions of our life. For instance, as we come to gather today in our church, the early service or Sunday school hour or the second service, there will be those as we gather together who are facing decisions. Some people are asking the question, is this the person that I want to marry or not? That's one of those long-term decisions that it does pay to put some thought to 
early on. Others are saying, okay, I have this money. Do I invest it or what do I do with that? Others of us are looking at job change opportunities. We all face opportunities day in and day out that cause us to look forward and make some kind of decision. What do you do when you have to make those kind of decisions? Ecclesiastes chapter 11, the first six verses we read. Here's what he starts with, verse 1. Cast your bread upon the waters, and you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they, uh, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning, sow your seed, and at evening, withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. When you come to face those long-term consequence in the decisions that you have to make accordingly, you need to find balance between conservative and risky. Let me, let me start this way, and I wanna, we'll come back to the text in a few moments, but I'd like to lay out what I think is a foundational kind of a truth. I, I'm going to put it in the form of a question, and we'll walk through it. But it impacts what we do with this passage, and it impacts the very issue that I've tried to lay out for you today. Here's the question. Do you walk with God enough to know God well enough to trust God enough to be 100% obedient to his call regardless of the cost? Now, that requires a little bit of unpacking, and so we're going to spend a little time doing that this morning. But if you will take that statement in the form of a question and pull it down into your life, I'll promise you that it will do some things with you in your spiritual growth and development. So let me just unpack it, but we're going to start at the back and move to the front, all right? So here's the end of that. I'll give you the whole statement one more time, and then we'll come back. So do you walk with God enough to, tr to know God enough to trust God enough to be 100% obedient regardless of the cost. So let's start with the 100% obedient part of that. That's a scary thought, isn't it? I mean, let's be honest. If we say before we even know what's out there, I'm going to be 100% obedient to God and his directives in my life, regardless of what it's going to cost me, I will do everything to the fullest extent of what God wants me to do. 100% obedient regardless of the cost. That's scary. Back in my younger days, uh, there used to be this kind of thing that went through church circles, right? If, we, if we're concerned about being 100% obedient to God, especially if we don't know what he's saying, because after all, he might just send me to Africa as a missionary. Well, now you know that there's bound to be Africans over on that continent saying, if I say that to God, he's going to send me to America to be a missionary. It is a scary thought when we face an uncertain future and underscore before we even know what it is that if God says it, we will do it. 
Are you at that point in your life today where you sit today? Are you willing to say, God, whatever you want me to do, I'm in? The reason it's scary for us is because most of us still fight that sin problem that we have where we will be God, where we will be in control of our own destiny. And so our tendency is to hear, be 100% obedient to God regardless of the cost. And our response to that tends to be, well, as long as it fits what I'm trying to get to in my life. That's the chase, by the way. If we really want to take this and put it into the context of the series that we've been preaching The reality is that what we want is to take our chase before God and say, okay, just make sure that I get where I'm supposed to be at the end of it, but I'm going to run it this way. Do you walk with God enough to know God well enough, to trust God enough, to be 100% obedient regardless of the cost? So if obedience regardless of the cost is a bit of a problem for us, let's back it up and see if we can't help with some understanding about how to get there. So the, the statement just before that is, do you trust God enough to be 100% obedient regardless of the cost? You see, if I don't trust God, then my answer to being obedient is going to be a resounding no. Churches are full of these people. I would even venture to say that each one of us, from time to time, fall into this. Because God has a way of raising the stakes for us as we go. Sometimes the things that he asks us to be obedient to really do push us. And it puts us, what we think at least, is in a position of uh, danger. That's a little bit of what we're going to talk about tonight in our Bible study. But when we come into those kind of things, our tendency is to go, well, you know, if I just had some assurances... To go back to that million-dollar thing that you, we started with, if you just had the assurances of what it would pay out for you, then you would do it. Well, that's not risky. That's assurance, not insurance, assurance. So if we don't trust God enough to be 100% obedient, then that means that we're going to stick with our plan. Now, this trust thing is a part of everyday life. Now, it's a big part of the Christian life. We put the term faith on it. But let's, let's just put this out on the, the bottom shelf of where we live our lives every day. You operate every day of your life exercising trust. When you crawl into your vehicle and get out on the, on the speedway known as Interstate 10 in El Paso, you are trusting that the braking system on that car works the way it's supposed to. Trust is an everyday part. When you go to a restaurant, some of you will leave here today and go somewhere and sit down to eat at a restaurant, and the food will be prepared by people you don't know. You are trusting that those people practice good hygiene. You are trusting that that food has been handled well. You are trusting the food inspectors in our city to make sure that restaurants come up to code and do the way they're supposed to do with us. Trust is a huge part of everyday life. And it settles into us in our Christian life when we come to this point of faith where we believe, I mean really believe, believe to the point that we invest ourselves in it. We believe that God will always do only what is best for us. 
If you don't believe that statement, the chances are good that you will not be 100% obedient regardless of the cost. Do you walk with God enough to know God well enough to trust God enough to be 100% obedient regardless of the cost? So how do you know he's trustworthy? I mean, after all, some of the things God requires of us push us. I'd say that's by design. God knows that we want to be God of our little universe. And so every once in a while, he takes us to points where we learn to trust him more. So how do we get to the point that we trust him? And the answer is that we know him. Not long after I got here, I went through a series of, as the pastor of First Baptist Church, now, one of those things was uh, Edgardo came to me and he said, Pastor, we really need to go over the border. We need to go into Juarez and spend a day over there because we have pastors that our church cooperates with over there and supports in various ways. And so it's really important that you get to meet them. And so they're all over the city. And so what we did is we set the date and uh, three men, Edgardo and two others and myself, jumped in a pickup truck and drove down to the Zaragoza Crossing and went over into Waters and worked our way from one end of Waters all the way to the other. Now, you just have to, I, I'm not really a, a, I'm not given over to fear about stuff typically. Um, and I wasn't really afraid that day until I got in the truck and we got across the river, and all of a sudden, all of the traffic laws that I bank on over here didn't mean a thing. I, I would be lying to you if I told you there weren't a few moments that I got a little bit afraid. And several of those moments, well, you know, as a guy who kind of leans towards wanting to be in control of my own destiny, you know, kind of like you, um, I was not driving. I was glad I wasn't driving. Because if I had been driving, when I needed to shut my eyes and look down, or not look down, uh, I would have not been able to do that. And so a number of times, as we went through Waters with traffic everywhere and people crossing streets at, at 400 miles an hour down some of those roads, I just had to close my eyes and wait for the impact. You know one of the reasons I felt that way that day? It's because I was new here, and I didn't really know the guys that well, especially the guy who was driving. We made it through, clearly. I didn't do any time in a Waters prison. I didn't do any time at a Waters hospital. I, we made it. We made it all through the day. Everything was fine. And I got to this side, and it kind of gave me this point of comfort with these other three guys, and especially the one driving. You see, the trust factor is enhanced by the level of knowing. Do you know God well enough to trust him to be obedient no matter what he tells you to do? The reason that would, I, I would go, I would implicitly trust that guy driving that truck now with anything I needed because I've had a chance to rub shoulders with him. I've sat in committee meetings with him. I've had discussions with him. I've watched him. I know that his heart is good, and he actually knows how to drive in waters, which I'm not sure how many people really do, frankly. 
Knowledge has a way of building trust. So do you know God well enough to trust him enough to be 100% obedient regardless of the cost to you? So that leaves us with the question, how do you know God better? How do you get to the point where you can know God so much that you trust him implicitly? Well, the answer to that is you walk with him. You spend your days living the life according to the scriptures and the way he directs us to live, and you test him out a little bit, and he says, if you'll test me and try me, you will find that I am true to my word and true to my character. I'll never let you down. I always love you. If you will walk with him, you will know him, which will allow you to trust him. So what is your level of experience with God today? How well do you know him? How deep is this relationship that you have? It's possible that you could go through your entire life as a church member, even making a profession of of, uh, faith in Christ where you give yourself to him and you can stay at an elementary level of knowledge with him that is based strictly on what your head says, I agree with that. But there have been those great people of the faith. Recently, Billy Graham died. But what do you think Billy Graham knew about God that allowed him to go stand in front of millions of people through the course of his life and stand without any question, without any apology? You need Jesus Christ as your Savior, was his message. It takes either it takes guts or it takes firm assurance of the truth. What is your experience level with God? Now I want to take all of that one more time. Do you walk with God enough to know God enough to trust God enough to be 100% obedience regardless of of the cost? I want to take all of that and your piece of that and let's put it to work in this passage of Scripture. Verse 1 and verse 2 lay out for us this balance point that is needed. Now, well, let me read them again for you so that you can remember what they are. Gast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know, you know not what disaster may happen on earth. So he makes this point, and it drives his message home for us, that there are some things in life that are known And there are some things in life that are unknown. And what we have to do in our walk with the Lord and in the way we live our lives, remember this is the preacher and he's trying to get us to understand life. So we have to accept the knowns. We have to make peace with the unknowns. And the way you do that is you find the balance point in the middle. And we'll come to that in just a few moments. Now, scholars are divided over these two verses. They have to be taken as a unit because the second verse kind of elaborates a little bit on the first one. But there's two primary options for these two verses, especially verse 1, cast your bread on the waters that you will find it after many days. Um, One group says that what the writer is talking about here is applied into charitable activities. In other words, 
this cast your bread upon the water has this, this perception of it that if I invest myself in people and I help people who are struggling with life and they're, they're underneath the circumstances of life, if I will do that as a matter of course, then I will have built a network of people who will do the same for me if and when I get in that kind of position myself. It's not necessarily a bad thought. As a matter of fact, there's a lot to be said for that. It is the investment of self and other people who are underneath the circumstances of life and later and then reciprocating back to me. Verse 2 then becomes the diversification of that, which essentially says the more you do that with seven or eight people, the bigger the pool is of people who could help you. That's what one set of scholars says verse 1 and 2 mean. Another said, and I would tend to believe that this is probably closer to what the author intended, the reality is we don't really have to choose between the two because his point is still the same. The second group says he's talking about a business venture here. That verse 1, this cast your bread on the waters, you'll find it after many days, speaks to maritime trade. It's a business deal that involves the shipping industry And the seven or eight means if you put all, okay, we'll put it in our terminology, one of those little sayings that we have. If you put all of your eggs in one basket and the basket goes down in a storm at sea, then there you go. So you diversify. Let me take all of that back to where we started. If you only had a million dollars and what you did with it for the rest of your life, impacted what you had if you put it all in one basket and that basket goes under, you're sunk. Verse 2 says diversify. Verse 1 says invest. Even, okay, now let me, let me stop before I finish that statement. I am not giving you business advice, all right? I hope my attorney heard that. I am not giving you business advice. I'm giving you life principles. So do not go and say the preacher said, okay, I'm not doing business for you here, not even trying. That's between you and the Lord, what you do. But the reality is, according to verse 1 and 2, that we have to take some risk in life. There are some things that we know, well, let's go ahead and go ahead and flesh that out a little bit here. Some things that we know we do, that's verse 3. Look at what he says. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. That's a truth. That's one of those natural laws. And so the writer now, with all of the observations of light that he has gone through, now brings us down to this point. Invest yourself. Diversify. And part of what you do with that is you know what you know. That's verse 3. Verse A talks about clouds and rain. Verse B, or the second part of verse 3, talks about Well, okay, so let me give you this. He uses a literary device here. When he says if a tree falls to the north or to the south, that's called a merism. And the literary piece there is a way of saying the full thing. So north or south, south would then include anything in between those. Wherever a tree falls, there it lies, unless somebody comes along and moves it. Both of those together emphasize going with what you know. So let me use this for just a moment to help underscore what we're saying with this. 
almost nine months ago now, Teresa and I moved to El Paso. This time last year, we were deep into discussions with the pastor search committee here. And so while they were doing their due diligence and checking us out, not just us, they had lots of people, I think, that started off in the process. I'm not sure about all of that. I do know that with us, they were checking into us, but we were checking into you guys. You see, there are some things in a decision that affects my future where I'm going to lean on what I know. So let me just tell you what I know about you. Let me give you a few people. No, I'm not going to do Just kidding. Just joking, seeing if you're awake. We did a lot of different checking. I talked to some people that I knew who were familiar with this church about what they knew. We went online. We went to some of the Baptist uh, resources that we have to know more about the church and its history. We even went, if you really want a good afternoon thing, go to YouTube and search on El Paso drones because there's a bunch of people who have drones who have posted it on YouTube, and we got a great bird's eye view of the downtown area, of all up and down all parts of El Paso. We did everything we could to get to the knowns about what it would be to move to El Paso and be pastor of this church. When you're making a decision that affects your future and has potential consequences, the writer of Ecclesiastes says, go with what you know. And work to know more. But some things can't be known fully. That's kind of his point as we come to verse 4. He said, He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. He's speaking into an agricultural based society. And he says, with no doubt at all, if you just pay attention to the weather, you'll never have a crop because you just don't know what it's going to be. I learned something about faith and trust in God when I was going to college in the panhandle of Texas and some of those big, huge commercial farms that are up there. And I rubbed shoulders, even worked out on the farms with some of those guys. Uh, I learned what it means to be a farmer where you depend on God to make sure that your crop comes in. We, we watched as a cotton crop, excuse me, a corn crop was enough into the season that it had sprouted and it was up about waist high. And it was a beautiful field. You drive past and you're kind of on one of those rolling hills and that, that corn crop was just something else to see. And then one afternoon, a storm blew through there and dropped pea-sized hail. And we drove past that field the next day, and it was like somebody had driven a shredder across that thing. All of the money, all of the work, all of the time that that farmer had put into that crop, all of a sudden, nothing to show for it. That's his point in verse 4. The things that you don't know will paralyze you when it comes to making decisions about your future that involve risk. So don't, don't just take one or the other. Those risk takers out there, by the way, risk takers are the ones that some church people really get nervous about, especially when they're sitting on committees with them making decisions about stuff we're going to do that involves money. The, the risk takers say, sure, we can do it. We gotta, we're gonna, we, well, well, yeah, there's a risk, but it'll be fun. Let's do it. And the the conservative people, those, those who are more inclined to protecting stuff, they just die. 
right there in the committee room. This is real stuff in life. It impacts decisions about where you're going to go to college or who you're going to marry, whether you're going to take this job or that job or when you're going to retire. Where's God in all of that? So let's take this one this unknown part of it, and let's put you on that committee that called me here as pastor. Okay, I already told you about what I did on the known side to try to get to know everything I could, but let's put you on that committee now as you look backwards, and you're sitting there, and you can handle the knowns, okay? There's resumes, there's references, there's all kinds of things that you can check. The knowns part of a pastor search is the easy part. The unknown is the part that eats you up. What about this guy? Does his approach to leadership fit the church that we are? That's a big question. Has to be answered well. Here's another one for you, and we heard this one many different times. What about this guy, and what about his wife? Hey, I I tell people all the time, you'll you'll tolerate me, but you're going to love her. But you know, one of those unknowns is, will this guy and his wife, especially his wife, will she fit into the church that we are. See, those are unknowns. You you don't get those on a finance spreadsheet, but you still have to make a decision. Life is full of decisions with long-term consequence that either paralyze you or they trigger that risk-taking part of you that says, oh, this is going to be fun, let's go. What do you do? The preacher says... You test the knowns, and you get to know more. Then he goes on to say you just recognize that some things that you just cannot know. Verse 5 provides our answer. This is the balance point. What do you do when you face that? Listen to what he says. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child. In other words, he's dealing with that question that says, at what point does this Baby, breathe is first. Oh, I know we can schedule those now because we're advanced medically. But the reality is that only God knows the moment that that baby comes to life. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the, woman of a, uh, in the womb of a woman with child, so do you not know the work of God who makes everything. In other words, what he says is, The things that you don't know and the things that you do know need to be balanced. And the balancing point is that you trust God. Because God does know. There are no unknowns with God. As I've said before, has it ever occurred to you that nothing ever occurs to God? The balance point for those decisions of consequence in your future rest in your faith in Jesus Christ. Do you walk with God enough to know God enough, to trust God enough to be 100% obedient regardless of the cost? The preacher says, rest in God, listen to his voice, and do what he says. You know, the most consequential decision of your life as it relates to the future 
is what are you going to do with Jesus Christ? Do you know Jesus Christ? Because if you don't, and you don't come to that point where you put your trust in him, then you can't be obedient to what he says. You can't have the life that he offers if you don't accept the offer. Do you trust him enough to accept that offer? If you don't, your future is not good. You can have all the money in the world, and if you don't know Jesus Christ, your future is wrecked. Do you know Jesus Christ? Do you trust him? Are you being obedient to him? Let's pray. And so, Father, we ask that you would take this invitation time, take the message, whether in the song service, in the preaching service, through your word, or even through your spirit that speaks to us right in the deepest parts of who we are. Change lives for your glory is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing. You come.